0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Skate Podcast on WEI.com.
1: Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Fatterton Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup!
0: Talking Bruins and NHL.
2: Sure, old time hockey. Like Eddie Shore. Yeah.
0: With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Brue. Yeah,
3: he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him!
0: And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Whoa. Hey, Scott. Lace him up for some bees Talk right now. I'm
2: gonna get a damn
0: It's the Skate Pod on WEEI.
2: Welcome into episode 83 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian D. Fleece, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. And, you know, there's some bags under the eyes of Scott today because the Bruins are forcing him to stay up until 4 in the morning, it feels like, this week. What's going on, Scott? How are you feeling?
1: I got my afternoon napping. I'm good. I'm ready to go. Uh, yeah, it's they, they got to get off the West Coast. One, one more game, one more 9 o'clock start, uh, which already I will gladly take that extra hour. And then... Uh, finally back on normal time but yeah i mean you know might as well start with this road trip which was going extremely well right like three straight wins to start at seattle san jose la and then if you looked at this road trip going in like this was kind of the one where you're like that might be the letdown game right second night of a back-to-back after after the kings game especially because going in i would have thought like well the kings are like a more physical team like that that can be a bruising game and you might just be tired afterwards. Now, as it turns out, the Bruins completely dominated the Kings, get a huge seven, nothing win. We're just like at times, literally skating circles around them. Um, But yeah. then they come back the next night against Anaheim and get off to a really horrible start, uh, you know, down three one at the end of one and fight their way back in it. And it looked like the, you know, it looked like this could be like a really great character building win, right? Like, you didn't, you didn't have your best, you know, you're, you're committing turnovers, which might be a sign of, like, just being fatigued. Uh, and then they blow it at the end. And then it kind of just all falls apart in, like, the last minute and a half.
3: Well, it, it looked like it was going to be, like, salvaging a point. Like, I don't know if it would have been a character-building win, but it, it would have at least been, okay, well, even though they started out so slow and so sloppy, they're able to get a point in a game that like you might need in the playoffs or you might, I should say you might need in the playoff ahead of the playoff run. So it was, It, I mean, what was it 40 seconds, 20, no, 22 yeah, seconds. Yeah.
1: the where win- the game was supposed to go to
3: overtime, Zeger scored. And I, Staying up that late to watch the end of it, I was like, "Oh well, we're gonna get overtime. I'm gonna have to stay up even later." <laughs> and then, n- no overtime, kind of a letdown. Though I was at that point, I was invested and in I was ready for overtime, but no, Zgris scored with 22 seconds left, and they don't even get a point out of it, which was a complete letdown.
1: Yeah, and you know, not getting a point is is not the end of the world. Like the the Bruins are still in a safe spot in the playoffs. They've actually put a tiny bit of separation between themselves and the capitals in that seventh, eighth race, which might actually be fairly important because the Columbus blue jackets have been playing some good hockey recently. And while I still don't think they're going to have much of a chance of catching the Bruins or capitals they're they're hanging around enough that like you at least still have to be aware of them and pay attention, which by the way, Bruins play Columbus on Saturday, um, you know, maybe a little bit more important of a game than that would have se- seemed a couple weeks ago. Uh, But, you know, let let the Capitals be the eighth team that has to worry about whether Columbus is going to catch them or not. Like, Just stay ahead of Washington, keep it safe. Burns are in a good spot, so losing the point doesn't – it's not a killer, but it just would have been – I just feel like it would have felt good for this team because we've seen these games, too many of these games where they fall behind by a couple goals, and the game just completely gets away from them and it ends up, 6-0, 7-1, 6-0, 7-1, like, you know, and it's just never competitive. Like, it was encouraging to actually see them fight back and, like, get back into this one. But then to not finish it and not even get a point out of it, it's like, oh, well, all right, well, what was the point of that?
2: Yeah, to, to, to mess up your sleep schedule. <laughs> um. So, as far as Columbus goes, I, it may have changed uh, with the last night's game, but I'm pretty sure going into the Anaheim game, the Bruins, uh, I they, they kind of pushed, they kind of padded their lead on them to like 13 games. Oh, I'm sorry, 13 points. So like, yeah, whereas like a week ago, it was kind of like nine or 10 points and Columbus had some, like a game or two in hand. And now it's kind of like the Bruins on this road trip, they've not only surpassed Washington to your, to your point, but I do think they have kind of, distance themselves enough from Columbus and, you know, barring a crazy collapse. um, I guess it just comes down to, would you rather play when it comes to the Bruins wildcard positioning, would you rather play if things were to end today, like a Carolina, or would you rather play a Florida? I, I, I I know none of us like to even consider, like, we don't really care about who they play. Like if, if, if you're trying to match up against opponents and chances are mentally, you're already behind the eight ball. It shouldn't matter who you're playing in the first round focus on yourself um, but you know, just for fun conversation, I suppose that would be the only thing that matters. The, um, the current road trip, um, you know, the Seattle game was interesting. A lot of high sticks, but they got the win. Great game in LA. That was um,
1: insane. Like, I can't remember watching a game that had that many
2: high sticks. Like Someone can,
3: was going to lose an eye. Like, can you just please keep
1: it down? Like, wait, waist or lower.
2: Yeah. It was like somebody turned the penalties up in a video game or something. <laughs> um they certainly had a you know phenomenal game against the kings i think we we've seen the bruins on the other side of that game before this year a few times where you know one team just doesn't really have their game at all the other one the other team kind of does so i would say good on the bruins in that game if i'm a kings fan i would probably say just kind of throw that one away
3: it almost feels like there was more the- bruins fans at that game and the anaheim game like you could really hear them and then when de had the hat trick Plenty of hats came down, even though it was on the road. So it was kind of weird. And that 7 nothing win was their biggest margin of victory the whole season. So uh, that one just felt good, especially, I mean, it feels good anytime you get a 7 nothing win. But the fact that it happened because Jake Dabruss got a hat trick and then Eric Hollow almost had a hat trick too. Um, you feel great about it. You're like, okay, the adjustments we made worked. Dabruss on the top line looks great. Uh, it solves the problem keeping together the second and third line. And it also increases trade value. I saw someone tweet, uh, thank you to the Kings uh, for, <laughs> for helping uh, DeBrus trade value uh, pretty much single-handedly this week. But just seeing him just rack up the points in the, on the road in, in this stretch of time of four games or since he's been on the top line uh, makes you feel good about even though they lost against Anaheim just going forward.
2: Yeah. And again, the, the game against Anaheim, I, you know, despite the loss, there are some good things to take out of it. Um, you know, like you guys mentioned, they kind of threw the, the, the point away. Uh, yeah, they did. And, you know, it's one of those games where like if, if they found a way to win, which look kudos to, to fighting back and you found out pretty early on in that game, if you're Bruce Cassidy after the first period, you kind of go to your team and say, look, this is kind of a scheduled not lost, but, let's find a way to win. Let's just battle back. We don't need, you know, this is going to be a perfect game. Let's just find a way. And they almost did. Um, You know, obviously there was clearly some sort of letdown after the Kings game back to back. And I'm not too concerned about, about that, that, that Ducks game because outside of the start and then the final like five minutes, I really thought the Bruins were probably the better team and some good takeaways from that game would be, you know, I, I want to bring up Felina later, so I'll save that. Let's 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 focus on Debrus because Debrusk, the Anaheim game was the only game he hasn't scored on this on this California road trip. And I guess let's just dive into that because you know he goes on the top line against Seattle. He gets two goals, including the overtime winner. Neither one of those goals was five on five. Well, the first one may have been, but it was just after a power play. But none of those goals were with the top line. It was circumstantial goals. He gets a hat trick against the Kings. Um, he's quite. I feel like I'm missing a game in here, but he's San Jose, yeah, oh, the get, thing, get an yeah. assist, yeah, on Martian, yeah. So, like, clearly, a, a very, a very productive um road trip so far for Nebraska. And now, you know, you have the his agent coming, he's like the munchkin in the Wizard of Oz, the Wicked Witch is gone. And now he's coming out of his house saying, See, 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 this is what he's worth, let's pump up his value okay, buddy, well, it took, you know, four months into the season for that to happen. Um, but so Jake's playing great. His his agent's over one shoulder saying he still wants to be traded. But then the angel on the other shoulder is, you know, the Bruins should probably consider keeping this kid for the rest of the year as their own rental because, number one, he helps them uh, address a need, which is scoring. And, you know, you probably can't really get true value for him anyway because a playoff team isn't really going to give you – anything of value off their roster for Jake. And then if you're a non-playoff team, you don't like the fact that he's a restricted free agent after the season. So that's why the, there's, there's talks about the Bruins signing him or Jake DeBrusk's camp being willing to sign an extension with the Bruins for the purpose of trading him away to somebody now that he has that term. If you're the Bruins, why would you like?
1: Well, it, it wouldn't be, with the, I don't think it'd be with the Bruins. It would be, he gets traded and there's already an agreement in place and then, as soon as he lands in his
2: new city signs. Okay. Um, I, I, which, I misinterpreted then.
1: Yeah. But so where the, the Bruins come in is that the Bruins had to give the agent agent uh, permission to talk to other teams about that extension, uh, which is interesting that they are because uh, obviously the reason they're doing it is that it, you know, Sweeney has not gotten anything particularly close to what he considers a fair offer so far. And one of the big reasons for that is that this 4.4 million dollar uh, qualifying offer for restricted free agency has been a big hang up for other teams because like teams are like well what so like i'm going to bring him in for 2 months and ha- just based on 2 months going to have to decide whether i want to pay him 4.4 million dollars next year um so that's been a hang up so that's why you know sweeney does grant that permission is Hey, hey, if, if he's able to find a deal, then that helps get a trade done because obviously someone's going to be much more likely to trade for him if they know they have a deal in place and it's going to be for cheaper than $4.4 4 He's, you know, he's not going to end up getting that money unless he goes on like the greatest run and playoff run to close out this season. You know, we're talking about like Consmith Trophy winner Jake DeBrusque, but, um, you know, the, that $4.4 like, he's not getting that. That's not coming really from anyone. So, uh, yeah, so that's that's an interesting wrinkle that gets added to it now. But it still doesn't mean that the Bruins have to trade him. Like, to, to your point, you know, if they do move him, given how well he's been playing and how important he is in this lineup now, you would have to either get back in return, you know, that kind of impact forward, Or be able to turn around and then go get another impact forward. So it's like, well, if you're Sweeney, you look at it and go, well, it's probably easier. Just keep Jake DeBrusque. Like why, you know, why would, why would I want to be making multiple deals to fill the same spot that I might already have filled from on our roster? I
3: have, I've, I've been saying it since I think, I believe since Sweeney had the press conference uh, talking about what they were looking for to get from DeBrusque great the week of maybe even the day after his agent um, mentioned that he wanted to, to be traded. And after that press conference, it seemed to me like they that Sweeney and management were content holding him uh, for the rest of the season. And now it, it makes even more sense than it already did um, because they're not getting the, they weren't getting the offers. Even if they do get the offers now, I'm not sure it's still a great idea uh, to move him just yet, just because if we're talking, we'll get to this later as well. If we're talking about going all in on the team this year, do you really move them and, and or do you keep them with the top line where he's been doing well? Obviously you get another few weeks to look at um, how, how he is, how he's doing there. He, he might be better. You might be better off keeping him, like Scott said, as your own rental. I, yeah. my feeling was all along since the, since that press conference was that they were intending on keeping him uh, for the rest of the season because they didn't seem urgent at all to try to make a deal. And I still feel the same way. I think he stays with the team the rest of the way.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would, I would say like now, if he's going to be part of a package to get an upgrade, then I'm all for it. Like there were, there's a report that San Jose had some interest. If you're telling me that it's DeBrusque and some other piece or two other pieces for Tomas Hurdle and San Jose has an, has an extension in place for DeBrust and the Bruins have an extension in place for Hurdle. Great. I'm in like, yes, Tomas Hurdle is better than Jake DeBrust. You're a better team. Go do it. But yeah, I mean, if you're just talking about like swapping, you know, like the whole, we were talking about, you know, the whole idea of like another uh, change of scenery guy or, you know, someone else who, isn't quite fitting where he is. It's like, that's off the table. You know, DeBrusque's DeBrus value is now higher than that. So all of those deals are off the table. I don't think you're trading him just for picks or something. Uh, again, unless it was with the idea that you're going to take whatever pick you get, turn right around and go get yourself another forward. So, yeah, I think he's I think he's probably here. And I, I'll add, like, the one way that this could get tricky is if now that Debrusk's agent is able to talk to other teams, if he turns around, comes to Sweeney and says, hey, I was just talking to this other team, and I know that they had this offer on the table, and that seems pretty good for you guys. Like, why aren't you taking it? You know, now does that create friction, something like that happening? But that still wouldn't stop me if I'm Sweeney because, look, at the end of the day, Debrusk needs a new contract, whether that's negotiated now ahead of a trade, or he plays at the season and looks for that in the off season. So no matter what, like he can't afford to just tank the rest of the year just because, oh, woe is me. I got stuck in Boston. Yeah. He finally looks
3: like he's having fun. Like he, I mean, why at this point, like, maybe hold off on the trade, Um, having a good time, enjoying myself, uh, having my first career hat trick playing with Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand, like he finally looks like he's having fun. Uh, and he's getting. I mean, Jack's interviewing him in the inter first intermission of that um, that Kings game where he yeah, had the hat know. trick, and, and he seemed like he was <laughs> he seemed like he was enjoying it. What, were you shaking your head because he asked him what he ate for breakfast?
2: Oh um, no! I just that interview was so cringy. Like it Jack, was super Jack cringy. Jack being in Watertown is just like Jack's awkward no matter what. But like when Jack's in Watertown and Jake's over in uh Orange County, and it's just it's just oh my god it was so awkward um he was not
3: expecting that question he had no idea how to answer it what have you been eating for breakfast he's like uh switching it up you know
2: (laughs) it's just it's just just so cringeworthy um so to your point bridget like yeah if i'm if i'm to like i don't know why you necessarily like why why do you need to trade right now like you know i can understand him wanting asking in november because you saw like the whole season to go at this point you're better off if you're him just you know biting down on on on, on your mouth guard and just giving it giving it all you have for the next two months because you're not going to be back here next next season anyway the bruins won't bring him back so you'll get your change of scenery next year after, uh, i would imagine after one last playoff run that's why i would take it if i were him but um to scott's point i totally agree i think that the whole one-for-one, one, you know, promising player for promising player, change of scenery aspect, I think that's done. I don't think the Bruins ever really had much of an interest in that. And I think that if you're the Boston Bruins, you know, you need to do what's best for the Boston Bruins. It's not what's best for Jake DeBrusque. It's like – it's not – like, he requested to be traded. That's his problem. Like, if you're Don Sweeney, you don't, you don't go out and, you know – trade him one for one for somebody who might not help your team right as much as he is right now to appease him and his agent to tough shit. Like we're going to do what's best for the Boston Bruins. If that means you're sticking around for the next two months, you're sticking around. But I will say this last stretch of games for the certainly I think would be much more enticing for teams. Now, if you were part of a package, like Scott was saying, so like he says, Th- Thomas hurdle. Yep. If it's like, you know, if, 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 if Jake, De- if Jake DeBrusque is that much more enticing now for Vancouver, if if it was Jake DeBrusque and a couple firsts for J.T. Miller or or Stenik, I don't really know. That I think is where his value has 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 increased. He's he's a bigger, he's a more important piece of a package now. And if that if a team is willing to do business with the Bruins in that respect, yeah, because like Scott said, that makes them better right now. The Boston Bruins should only help do a move that helps the Boston Bruins right now. And if that's keeping DeBrusque, great, if that's, but it's certainly not trading him for a player of equal or lesser value. It's it, it, or equal value at all. It's going to, the Bruins have to clearly probably want a deal, I think to move him because otherwise your team is, is worse off for this year. And that's what Don Sweeney's job is, is to make sure that the Boston Bruins are the best team that they can be. And if Jake DeBrusque is part of that team, but he goes home and he's just, you know, has has a, has a dartboard with Bruce Cassidy's face on it for for a few months. And so be it. Um that's how, I, that's, that's how I feel about it. And, and, Scott, if you want to bring up um, what John Butchergross said briefly on, on Gresham Keefe today.
1: Yeah, so Butchergross was on Gresham Keefe uh, on Wednesday and said some things that tie right into what we're talking about. He said, you know, asked about DeBrus. He said, they can't trade him now. He has to stay. Uh, you know, he talks about what kind of player he is. He says, I think they're not going to trade him now and drive him home with that first line, see what happens in the off season and figure something out then which makes all sense in the world to me. And uh, by the way, Butcher Gross also says that if he were Don Sweeney, he would be going all in to the extent of trading first-round picks like the Los Angeles Rams did. And obviously worked for the Rams. They went all in on winning now and won the Super Bowl. And Butcher Gross thinks that uh, the Bruins should be doing the same thing, which, you know, I think is kind of like we we all sort of – know that because we know the Bergeron window is, you know, closing quickly, whether that's just this year or another year after or maybe two more years, but um yeah, I mean, like, that—that that is your championship window, and I think the idea of going all in, kind of, that depends on, like, what your definition of that is and just how much you're willing to stomach it. You know, Butchergrass says trade multiple first-round picks. Who cares? I... I think I can kind of get on board that where it gets tougher is what if instead of future first round picks, it's teams really pushing for Fabian Lysel or Mason Lorai, two prospects that I think whose value, certainly in Lorai's case, his value has increased tremendously since the Bruins drafted him, uh, could be ready as early as next season. He's he's a freshman at Ohio State, but an older freshman um, is having a, Great season there is a big reason why Ohio state is in position to make the NCAA tournament. Um And, you know, like I mentioned this last week, but there's people who think he's going to be one and done and could be competing for a Bruins roster spot next year. Uh, Fabian Lysel, you know, I think obviously at high value as a first rounder anyways, is having a very good season for Vancouver and the WHL. And uh, his, his general, ma- it's, I always laugh when general like people close to the player make comments like this. But his general manager in Vancouver this week said said in, in an interview with Scott Wheeler of the Athletic that the only two players he's seen in like 30 years of working in hockey that can skate like Lysel are Pavel Bure and Connor McDavid. It's like wait, wait, did I put uh, any pressure like, on the kid? Uh,
2: like it's like, uh, <laughs> excuse me, pal have you have you seen Nick Ritchie? <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay, Brian. I thought we were done with the uh, jabs at Nick Ritchie, but I guess not.
2: <laughs> hey, he, he and Louis Erickson connected for a nice little goal of the other night. Maybe the Bruins can get them to at the, at the deadline.
3: Um, but in, in all seriousness, I think so – to respond to that the whole idea that the going all in that butchigas uh said and which we we were already kind of down that road for most of the year and we've already been talking about well who who would you go all in on who would you give up a first round pick yeah. or or
1: and by the way point- it's worth, worth noting that butchigas by name says jacob chaker and that's his top priority not really surprised i think that's a lot of Bruins fans' top priorities, so and that's
3: someone that you would go all in for. But there are plenty of other names out there that you 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 just wouldn't you wouldn't mortgage the the future for.
2: I think I think the list starts and ends with Jacob Chickren, Thomas Hurdle, and JT Miller. I, I think if if you're going to mortgage Lysel or Lori, those are probably the only three players you would even consider including them in a package con- with the, with the asterisk being that whatever player you acquire, you will have more than as a rental, like, like for, you know, for, 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 for with term, um, you know, there, there's debate amongst Bruins fans. If, if though either, even those three players are worth giving up a Lysel or a Lorai for, um, you know, but those are probably the only three marquee names that like, I think, push the needle for any one of us if we're talking those uh those, those pieces
1: yeah um, at least that that we know of that is or could be on the market like i was gonna
3: say th- 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 those th- there's are always the, the ones...
1: poss- yeah there's always the possibility of you know someone we don't anticipate being available who suddenly pops up for whatever for whatever reason
3: yeah i was thinking the same thing those are the people that have been on our radar yeah. but there's always a chance that uh th- at that we come to the last week and all of a sudden we're hearing other names and, and maybe this is the guy like you gotta, you gotta go in all in for, but as of right now, I agree that list of, of three players, Brian uh, noted is real. And I really still think you could get those deals done without giving away Laura or, or Lysel, you probably get it done with draft picks.
2: Potentially. Yeah. You know what? One name I didn't include in those three would be like a close room because I, I wouldn't see him being, you know, uh, more than a, a two month player for the in, the, in the, in the, in the spoke to be. So like, I wouldn't do it for him. I would try to find him a different way, uh, or, or acquire him a different way, but you know, Jacob tricker, Jacob Chikrin is younger than Charlie McAvoy. Okay. So like when people talk about, well, we can't trade Laura because he's the future. Well, so is, so would Jacob Chikrin, he would be the present in the future. He's only 23. Um, you know, JT Miller is, you know, late twenties, he, he might be, he might be 30, but regardless, um, is this a good segue, Scott? But do they
3: skate like Connor McDavid?
2: Yeah, yeah. no, certainly not. And, and by the way, L- Laura's
1: twenty-one, so he's only two years younger than Chikrin, Even though you know one's been in the NHL for four years or whatever, and one's a freshman in college. Like, there's only two years of actual age difference. There.
2: Um, I, I I think it's probably a better time than ever since we're talking about it to bring up the lifestyle article, Scott, because you you, you talk you talked briefly about the the. the 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 Canucks, not the Canucks, the uh, Vancouver Giants GM comparing his skating style to like, you know, for what it's worth, like a beret, McDavid type, you know, skill set when it comes to skating. Um, I watched Lysel closely in the the rookie camp. His skating was phenomenal. It was it it was men amongst boys in that camp. Um, I'm not I haven't watched him enough to say what the GM said, but then again, he has. Um, But with that said. So a lot of the discussion on this podcast in the Bruins verse has been about this exact debate, right? Like, do you go all in? Do you mortgage the future? Do you hang on to these kids? Blah, blah, blah. So then I kind of, I was driving around. I saw your, I saw the EEI article and I was like, well, wait, wait a second. Hold on. Fabian, we're, we're so trained to think that Fabian Lysell has to play with the Vancouver Giants this whole season, like we'll see him next year maybe, or in Providence. But he's 19 years old, he's lighting up the WHL, and their season, their their team's like in the middle of the standings, their, their season is closer to being over than it is beginning. He's had months, how much more can Fabian and Lysell develop in the WHL over the next month and a half than he already has there? Has he exhausted his, his developments there? Maybe you can say it would be nice for him to endure a playoff atmosphere up there. Fine. Um, but as far as the actual speed of the game, like I think at over point per game player there, I think it's the Bruins should be having conversations on Causeway street about, Hey, and Scott, maybe there's like contract issues that I'm not thinking of, but like the Bruins should be talking at the garden. Like let's get this kid to, to Providence. Like let's, let's get into the next step because What happens? He's 19 years old. What happens if he can potentially be added to the Bruins roster late this year? Not unlike Charlie McAvoy in 17, like Fabian Lysel, he's young. You want to develop him, Yes, but he's 19 years old. He's lighting up where he is. There are 18 year olds in the NHL. Fabian Lysel uh, was talked about by people as being the most talented player in this past draft who fell for whatever reason, but, he I had like it's, an
3: inconsistent season the, co- the year of COVID. That's kind of how we ended up falling. But if if he comes to Providence, we could do we'll, we'll do a podcast uh, from the dunk, you know, post game.
2: A, a live podcast, we could. But I guess I'll, I guess I'll pose the question this way to you guys: There's so much concern about do the Bruins go all in now and win while they can, or and that would include maybe having to give somebody up like 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 Lysel, or do you hold on to them for the future? But what happens if you like? Is there any way you don't give him up, but he also helps you in the in the present? Like, is there any way he could help this team this year? Maybe, or at least it's, Providence.
1: It's possible. I think it's I think it's really ambitious, um, because I think he has had some ups and downs in the WHL. Uh, he also dealt with a lingering illness, which is why he missed Sweden's two, first two games at World Juniors, and then gold the tournament got canceled anyways. So who knows if he ever would have returned, but, um, yeah. And like when he came back from that, cause he missed, he missed a whole, like a whole month of action. Part of it was because of illness and part of it was an extended break to see family. Uh, he also in that same article in the athletic talked about how tough it's been being away from family and the fact that it's a nine hour time difference between Sweden and Vancouver. So, Like, by the time he's done with morning skate, his family's already in bed, and, you know, you can't talk to him. Um, And it took – when he came back from that break, it took a little while for him to get going. I think he had two goals in his first game, and it was like, oh, great. Like, he's just picking right up where he left off. And then he had, like, a three- or four-game stretch with no points. And he has started to pick it up again since then over the last few weeks. Um, So that's still not – it's not a huge sample of, like, really – consistent day in day out play that you'd want to see before you said like oh yeah this kid has nothing left to prove there um he's also it's also but worth Scott, not you
3: to- you wrote the article like you 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 would think that you know he could end up in providence by the end of the year so i guess well, you're you're what would the pros be you're kind of saying like oh he's not ready but if if he were if, if they decided he was ready what would be the like what would you see as the the top pros for him coming in and, and, you know, working on?
1: Well, well, you'd get him one, you'd get him closer to you. So he'd now be right under your nose and you'd be seeing him all the time. And he would be going up against professional players. So now it's not, okay, how does Fabian Lysel 19 years old do against, you know, other 18 and 19 year old junior players. Now it's how does he do against bigger, faster, stronger men, you know, 20 something year olds, even a couple 30 year olds. Like how does he do against 20, that?
2: The, are there 20 plus year olds in the in, in junior, Scott? I think there are right. I think each team's
1: allowed to have like a certain number of overage players, which would be like 21 year olds, but but not a lot. Um certainly not like not even as many as college would. Um so that's Do you that think, would... he's,
2: exhausted? Do you think he's exhausted? Do you think he's exhausted the WHL at this point? I don't.
1: I, I I think I think he I, can, I think he can still get better there. I think he still is getting better there. Um, and a lot of that's, you know, not the skating aspect of it, but it's it's his all-around game. It's playing in more situations, you know, whatever it might be. Um, also, while like while we're touching on it, because there had been this thing about he was taking shifts at center. I, I think that was more just a temporary thing, like kind of out of necessity for Vancouver's lineup. Um I don't think it's any I don't think it's like the Bruins have decided, oh, he's a center and we we want you to play him there because that's how we're gonna develop him. It's it was more like they kind of need him to play center and they plugged him in there and you know he's gone back to wings since. Um but yeah, I mean I I think he can still improve there. I think, hey, if he finishes strong and the Bruins wanna take a look at him in Providence at the end of this year, then that then that's fine too. Like I, you know, I think we saw Even in preseason, he didn't look like someone who was going to be overwhelmed by, you know, NHL or certainly like an AHL game. Um, I think sending him to the WHL was always a smart decision, but he never looked like he was going to be overwhelmed or unable to handle that. So I think there could be a temptation there, and I think it could be beneficial as far as, you know, potentially helping the Bruins at the NHL level. Well, you know, if you just do this out timing-wise, Vancouver's regular season ends, uh, I think, like, April 1st or 2nd. So then let's say they get knocked out in the first round of the playoffs because, to your point, they're more middle to lower packs, so they're you wouldn't expect them to make a deep playoff run. Okay, well, now, what, does he get a week or two in Providence, like mid to late April? I think you'd want to get him into, like, if he was going to have any chance of playing in Boston – you'd want him in regular season games. And I just, I I just think like the schedule gets a little too compact and probably won't work out, but you never know. Maybe you get him over here. He plays a couple AHL games, looks great. And you say, Hey, you know what? Actually, let's, let's call him over for the last five games of the regular season and see what he looks like.
2: Well, I could see like, it's, it's interesting because we talk about it in this context and the current state of the team. And, and, and we, we, we think that it's, you know, a pipe dream. It's a long shot. And kind of, I, I, I guess I would probably agree with you that this year kind of is, but I'm not going to, I don't want to jinx anything. So I'm not going to name names, but let's just say like a very important offensive player for the Bruins, like a top six winger for the Bruins can like had a season ending type injury or something like that. And like, like the, like the way the Bruins were back end was banged up in 17. Like, Charlie McAvoy was brought to Boston out of BU. He, I mean, I don't even know if he played a game for Providence. Maybe played a game. I mean, he came in, said, how you doing, and, and went back straight to, to the Garden. So, Charlie McAvoy was brought on the scene probably, you know, he, he, he would have made the team out of camp the following year, but he was brought to the Bruins out of, you know, pretty much on an emergency basis. So, like, the Bruins had to bring him up. I guess my, what I'm asking is, like, can you, can you have that mentality sometimes when you, when you don't have those issues? Like it, it if, it, if you would bring somebody up when there's an emergency reason, you know, maybe have that mentality when things aren't so bad, like just st- see, still see what he can do. Like I, I think he should, because of the COVID um, um, break, I guess you could call it in December, like the NHL season had to get pushed back essentially a month. So that. For something like this like he, he, he could develop in the whl then go to providence i think because he's your property so like i shouldn't say it like that um but since he's 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 the bruins player so like uh it's not like i think he would avoid any of those like post trade deadline acquisition type moves i think i don't know so maybe there's a world where he plays an entire season in whl then goes to providence and then you look at your watch and it's like uh yeah, it's still a week or two before Bruins playoffs. Let's give
3: them you know, a shot. Exactly, Brian. I don't think it would even need to be an emergency basis, and let's just pretend that you didn't even say that and jinx it. But um, but if their season ends around April 1st, and the Bruins – the, the last week of the Bruins season has four games starting April 24th to 29th. They pretty much – last game, maybe the last two games of last season was pretty much an AHL uh, roster the Bruins put out to play, Um, you know – what. They could, um, they play Buffalo that week. They play Montreal that week. Do they just decide to throw an AHL roster together at the end of the season again? Could be the case. So that would, it would be like for a game, maybe two games if you yeah. see them this year. Um, Still a long shot, but I think it wouldn't even need to be an emergency basis. It's just kind of one of those, let's look at what we have. Like last year it was like Jack Sean that they brought up and, and, you know, a few other players, actually a lot of other players to just get a look at. I think Steen was one of them. Uh, and that that would be the best case scenario. That would be the like the ceiling for him this year, I guess you could say.
2: Exactly, and like if you had him in one of those games, did you say Buffalo is one of those games? So like, yeah, Montreal if, the
3: twenty fourth and Buffalo the April twenty eighth.
2: Okay, so like if he plays in those games hypothetically, like does that tell you? Does that you know? And he scores a a goal off his shin pad. Are you gonna sit there and say, well? Oh, he'll, he'll, he'll light up Carolina in a seven-game series. No, you wouldn't think that. But if you put him out in that game and he looks like he's far superior to, like, the opponent and he's one of the better Bruins for three or four games, like, you could have something there. I'm just saying the Bru- we all know the Bruins are, you know, they need a little punch. Their roster's not there yet. And if there's any way, shape, or form that you could potentially upgrade internally without giving away – said player i just don't think they should close the door on it and i think they should be uh, open-minded and just see i guess play it by ear see what happens but I, i just thought it was worth bringing up because there's so much talk about it's either it's either this or that and i i just thought to myself well what if it's something in the middle that we all just aren't really considering
1: yeah i should also say and i guess i probably should have looked this up before but i don't know if like the the chl age thing if that still applies like you know after the chl season's over no like because i know like preseason you can't you can't send an 18 or 19 year old kid who's playing major juniors to the AHL, right he has the it's either nhl or he goes to major juniors so i don't know if that like still applies to Lysel after the season um but it's like it's possible that if you're going to bring him on board it would have to be nhl or don't bring him on at all like i guess I just, I don't know the exact details of all that.
2: Okay. Well, I just wanted to bring that up because it was just an interesting thought that crossed my mind. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, pounding the drum saying they should do it. I just thought it was worth bringing up because like I said, uh, as Bruins fans for the last, like pretty much all season, it's been like, well, we know they have to get better, but if they have to get better, they have to get rid of certain things. And, you know, I don't know, maybe they don't. And I, I just thought it was, it was worth, uh, texting you guys about it. i genuinely was just like i wonder what these guys think maybe maybe they'll tell me to shut the fuck up and never talk to them again but you get you guys didn't and here we are today but i, I thought it was worth bringing up um i know there were some other things we wanted to get to um do you want to do you want to talk about the goaltending uh i mean scott you uh you've really been i guess vindicated with your with your linus Allmark takes um i know you know you you, you I wasn't crazy about them signing him way back when I did. I did admit that maybe there, maybe there was a chance Sweeney was right in bringing him in with the retirement of Tuka Rask. But, uh, and I know Bridget wants to talk about the the play of Swayman, but it just seems like, I don't really think there's very many more questions in goal. As far as the Bruins are concerned, they kind of know who their guy is and they kind of know who their fallback guy is at this point.
1: Yes. Swayman has clearly, you know, Cassidy even acknowledged that he's, started to move ahead of mark No, no, he hasn't he hasn't started. He's moved ahead of mark Like it's clear Swayman is the number 1. Almart if, if you want to call him 1A1B, call him whatever you want, but he's second on the depth chart. Um and the the you know, Swayman has just been lights he had the one tough game against Pittsburgh when you know, his first game back in a month uh, after Rask retires. But has been absolutely lights out since. He's uh Rookie of the month in the NHL for the month of February.
3: And, and he's five, he's five, one, and one in the month. And in a uh, uh, 960 save percentage and you know, a 1.13 goals against average, those are incredible numbers. And do you think that it's a coincidence that it comes after being sent down?
1: Um, I, I guess I would say, like, I don't think getting sent down hurt him at all. And it probably
3: could have lit a fire.
1: Yeah, and I and I also think, you know, he got some good work down there. And, you know, there are things like rebound control that he had struggled with early in the year that I think has been much better. Um, you know, to me the the big difference between them, and I guess my the one concern like I still have with Ulmark is Swayman, like every underlying number is now excellent. It's like top ten or top five in the league, including high danger save percentage. And Allmark is still, like, bottom 10 in the league in high danger save percentage.
3: Which and is what what that's what that's Scott cares about. Get on that natural well, stat. But I, I think out. how that
1: how that reflects to real life is probably something that I think a lot of Bruins fans see, which is Swayman will bail out the defense and make tough saves. And Allmark too often doesn't. Now, he did have a good save late on Kevin Shattenkirk uh, Tuesday night. But, you know... Look, none of the goals he gave up Tuesday night were his fault. They all came off bad plays. You know, turnover by Forbord, a turnover turnover by Marshan. Uh, Which, by the way, Forbord had a rough Smith. had
3: a rough game.
2: Yeah, must be did it. Why?
3: So,
1: so like none of them were primarily his fault, but you you want your goalie to pick up your defense and bail him out on at least one of those. And by that's, the that's, end, of, by the end of
3: the first period, uh, which is when the majority of the goals were scored um, against by the Ducks uh, in that Tuesday game, I I couldn't help but think to myself that so if Swayman's in, at least one of those doesn't go in. If Swayman's in, they win that game or at least get a point out of that game. Uh, and and not to knock Allmark at all, but just Swayman plays in a way where he could have stole one of those. Uh, and maybe the Henry goal, uh, he he could have. Stop that! He just had to make one more save, basically, than mark and I think he could have, and I think he would have. Um, but it's a back-to-back, so you're stuck in a situation where you you're more likely to have to split the goalies. um You know, play swimming in against LA, and then the next night play mark
1: Yeah, and and Olmark still he's going to play plenty down the stretch. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna totally overwork swayman and start him. You know, ninety percent of the games the rest of the way, but. I wouldn't be surprised if it gets up to like a 70-30 split um, because he's just, I think he's just that much better. And, you know, he's going to, unless something disastrous happens, he's the one who's going to give you the best chance to win the playoffs. Now I know Cassidy this week also talked about how, you know, and, and he said this before that they might be more open to the idea of possibly splitting goals in the playoffs or not, riding one goalie every single start every night. But I think you'd at least start with Swayman and see how he does. And, you know, hey, if you need to go to Allmark at some point, okay, you you talk that through. But, uh, yeah, you know, like it, like we said, like Swayman just gives you that that one extra save, that one bailout that kind of elevates from, you know, a good goalie, a perfectly fine goalie to one of the best in the league, which is what Swamin has been over the last month.
2: Yeah, I think he uh, you kind of saw it last year and you kind of were like, all right, maybe it's kind of a uh, beginner's luck, but he's just, you know, since day one, even in some early inconsistencies, I guess, and earlier on this year, he he just has this, this it factor about him that most goalies just don't have like he, he has a the right
3: mindset and, and like personality to to handle almost anything,
2: yeah. Well, he's great, he's he's a great hugger. Um, well, yeah, and, yeah, but I guess so is all Mark. So, um, but, know, selfies. He, he's always smiling, yeah, yeah, that too. But he's he's got a ton of confidence, uh, great demeanor, and um, yeah, I guess just he, he, he's just there's something about him, I just think that numbers aside he yeah you feel comfortable with him and that and that he can make those extra saves for you I mean I think a lot of the nothing it's not really to crap on Linus allmark I, I think he's a good goalie I think but you know he's much bigger than most other goalies like Linus is a big guy and I think a lot of pucks just hit you when you're that big and um, not to say he's incapable of making you know big saves and, and outside of his size but I just think that's the reality of Linus Allmark. You get a guy that's like six, six, four, six five, not even how tall he is, but he's wide, too. He just comes up a lot of net. Um, so, yeah, it, it's very, very so not to
3: crap on Linus Allmark, but he's wide. <laughs> he he's makes his stops because he's big.
2: Look, I'm not calling him Goldberg, okay, but he might be Goldberg. Um, so in goal that's probably the least of the Bruins, least of the Bruins worries. I mean, the only thing that you can say about the, the these two is that they're unproved in the playoffs Well, them and everybody else in the league, pretty much besides Andre Vasilevsky and a couple others, but um, were any other comments on the goaltending before we, we uh, move move along here?
3: I don't think so. Like you said, it's not a concern. It's not like the highest concern. So it's kind of just was worth brushing on uh, the, the rookie of the month thing and, and just, um, Talking about, uh, he's improved during the month of February. Two shutouts, um, and just hope hoping that that continues in the last two months of the season. But he hasn't really shown signs of slowing down since he came back uh, from being down in Providence. So, uh, and Scott makes a good point about being able to work on the rebound control because he's he was getting a little bit more like one on one time, uh, you know, getting worked with when he was down there. So. Uh, I'm not concerned. It kind of has answered our question about who's the playoff starter. I think, yeah, I think he's kind of made the case for himself unless something, you know, dramatic happens in the last two months of the season.
2: All right. Um, One of of the uh, pauses I took out of the Anaheim game, the only game they've lost so far in this trip, uh, was – the effort and the production from Nick Felino and just the noticing him in that game and kind of looking like the Nick Felino that, you know, he did for most of his time in Columbus and that you were kind of hoping you would see more as a Boston Bruin. So um, I'll ask this question to the class. It has been a very unforgettable um, five months for him in Boston. But if you were to ask a player, a fan, a coach, a GM, If you'd rather have a player play well in October or in April, you'd rather say the latter, right? So I guess my question to you guys is, did last night show any signs that maybe he might not be so useless uh, as the season goes along this year? Can he be of any value in the playoffs? In yes, any- Mr.
3: DeFelice. Yes, yes, Mr. DeFelice. Um, no, he was one of the positives. He had a goal and assist. Carlo had a goal and assist. Um, both of them on each other's goals, and so something that I thought I, he he played well. He was one. That line was one of the only lines that had a consistent like full sixty minute effort. Uh, whereas the rest, sorry, dog. Quiet, uh, right. <laughs> We're just
2: talking. Take it easy.
3: Usually he like comments like on, on Swayman. I know. Usually, I was gonna
1: say you missed the Swayman discussion. Actually, this week. I
3: probably just had it <laughs> muted, but um, th- no. So he was one, it hit that fourth line where he's been slotting in. Uh, it was one of the only lines that had a consistent 60-minute effort. Um, in that game against Anaheim, and something that, I mean, it was like what one in the morning by the time we got to listen to the post-game press conferences. Um, after the game, but i stayed up i i listened and i i'm paraphrasing but it was very interesting when he said i had a really rough time to start the year i had a hard time fitting in because of my injuries um not being able to enter an organization that i haven't been a part of and really slot in because uh it's it, the, the it was hard to find a fit when you don't have uh aren't spending much time on the ice and even when he was injured he was you know away from practicing and whatnot so he acknowledged the reasons why he was struggling and I i don't know what you guys thought of that i think i'm i'm probably missing part of that quote scott as well you you heard it and you you um thought it was important too uh
1: yeah i mean but you know to me injuries are gonna it's gonna continue to be a question with them can he hold up because he's battled so many of them just over the last year, year and a half. Uh, But, you know, he he certainly looks as good right now as he has since he arrived in Boston. And to get a a multi-point game uh, and a Gordie Howe hat trick to go along with it, uh, you know, you hope that that jump starts it. I'm going to, you know, I think I'll reserve excitement until we see it over a longer period of time because it can't just be one game here and there. Uh, and it's
3: what it's with him playing on the fourth line, which when he came in, we're thinking, you know, this is a third line winger. Yeah, now mean, he's, he's on the fourth line playing with uh, Nosik and Froden.
2: Yeah,
1: he's he's getting he's getting paid like a top nine forward, but I think you almost have to just throw that out, forget about it. Like, if he goes on some sort of run and he elevates to that, then fantastic. But can he at least be a, a useful fourth liner? Well, he was Tuesday night for sure. So let's see if he can keep that up over, you know, a longer stretch of games here. Um, You know, that's still a value. It's not as valuable as the money he's making, but that's still a valuable role if he's able to do that. So, um, you know, we know, we know everyone likes him. We know he has a great attitude and he says all the right things. Um, But yeah, at some point, and I think we were getting to that point, like, you need production. You know, if the Bruins are fully healthy, it wasn't that long ago where it was like, I don't think he's in the lineup. Like, you know, if this if this seems fully healthy, then there's not a spot for him. So he's playing now. Uh, You know, they have a couple injuries. He's playing consistently. And he's at least looks like he might have a spot for himself on that fourth line. So if you can at least get that from him, Hey, it's a lot better than what you were getting. So, you know, let's let's see if he can stick stick through it and, and stay there.
3: And I just remembered one of the other things he brought up, which was remember they they had him slotted in on the first power play unit, um, like a net front guy. And he lost that role when he was injured to uh Taylor Hall and at other times, you know, Coyle or whomever, but mostly Taylor Hall. Uh and so that was another role that because of the injury he had taken away from him. So he's never able to be, to consistently play in one role or another. Um, And that's, you know, maybe he gets that opportunity on the fourth line now, but uh, that was one of the main issues coming into the season. And I think Scott, you gave grades. What month was it that you gave grades? And he was the only player with a, you know, like a, a, did, did not complete yeah. or whatever, like, incomplete. I think, that
1: was, I think that was, like, a month into the season. Or so, yeah, because to that point, he, had, he just hadn't played enough. Like, he got injured, what, like, the second or third game of the season?
3: And it yeah. almost feels like you still have to think about it that way. Like, obviously, he's had more games he's played, but, like, it almost feels like we really haven't got a complete look at him yet.
1: I don't, I don't know if I totally agree. I mean, I think we've gotten a decent look at him. I think he's We haven't just...
3: gotten a complete look at where he fits like we haven't well haven't answered that question i mean we got
1: we got a prolonged look that he didn't fit in the top 12 like he he i mean he was playing games he just wasn't playing well and whether that was still injury related or whatever but like i i mean he wasn't going to be handed a, a lineup spot like he was injured he was struggling you know he was gonna have to earn it and to his credit recently he's started to earn it so that's good but like you know, look. I mean, I I think we were kind of all on the same page going in. Like, he's he's not the player he was in his prime. You weren't going to get that from him. You're hoping he'd be a good third liner, and he hasn't been anything. He hasn't been even close to that this year. So, you know, again, now, hey, can you get a good fourth liner out of him? Maybe you know. Let's let's see it continue. But, um, yeah. I mean, I I don't. I don't really buy that like his struggles are because of some lack of opportunity or whatever. Like he's, he's played, he's had chances. He's just, he's really struggled. And maybe, maybe the injury is, is a factor. Maybe it lingered. Maybe there's more stuff going on we don't know about, but you know, it's not, it's not like, Oh, you know, I never even got a chance.
3: Yeah. I think maybe his point was more, if if I'm with a team that I've already been with, then like the injury doesn't set me back as much as it does when you're coming into a new organization.
2: Has he played much with um with Charlie Coyle? I feel like earlier in the year when they had Felino on the third line, that's when Coyle was in the second line. And right. a lot of that was with Halla. And then when Halla went with Pashnak and uh, Taylor Hall and Coyle went down, maybe my brain just isn't remembering but like has he played much with coil in that stretch or like was he hurt slash like not in the lineup because i can't really remember much sample size with coil that's like the only guy i can't picture him playing with so far but i mean that would be like because that would be the ideal fit right like we brought him in to be a third liner blah blah, blah. we're paying was a third liner, which by the way i agree with scott like you got to. That's all preseason stuff, off season stuff. Like once you have your team assembled, you can't play certain guys based on their price tag because the, the damage is done. You, you got to put players in the best gen, uh, places to succeed. But my, I just can't remember many games with him with Coil. Now that I think about it, if I no, uh, you're right, Brian. Because so,
3: I'm looking in December and it w- it's like
2: how so it.
3: that line? But then there was a game where it was Felino and Steen and Coyle.
1: Um, so Felino did get a stretch with Coyle and Hall early on when Smith was hurt. Okay. Uh, yeah. they played yeah. that, That so that was actually that's actually been his most common line. They played 78 five on five minutes together.
2: Oh, wow. All um, right. But, but that was all yeah, early, I mean, that was
1: all early in the yeah. year.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough. So, I guess it's just something to keep an eye on. Like, you know, um, again, we've talked about it before. He's been in the league for, I want to say 10, 12 years. And for much of that, up until honestly, his stint with the Maple Leafs and then this year, he's been a productive player in the league for all of that time, essentially. So, you know, he was doing something right. Um, if you want to tell me it's simply a lack of foot speed, I'll, I, I agree with you, but he never had that in the first place. I mean, the league was still fast 10 years ago, you know, so it's not what it is now, but it was still pretty fast. Um, And, you know, other guys find ways to to be productive without being the fleetest of foot. I mean, Bergeron, Krejci, like, you know, it's, it's not all foot speed. Um, Is there a way he can kind of refine a little bit of that uh, old self going forward? I know he and the Bruins would like that. And, you know, like Scott said, he's a good guy. Like he, he's not somebody you you really enjoy like shitting on at all. Um, So hopefully he can, you know, hopefully this trip helps him out and, and, no, if he can if he can let's say it's 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 uh the first round of the playoffs are approaching and Nick Fleenow wins the year with like eight goals, 10 goals, like and that so that that would require him scoring like five or six seven goals in the next like month and a half, then maybe he'll have some confidence and bring something cuz it's better than what he's brought up until uh, this road trip.
3: If he can bring a Gordie Howe hat trick in the playoffs then, you know, that, that yeah. that's when you want it. Expect, that's what you want to
2: see I, from him. By the
1: way, just because while I was looking this up, uh some 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 nerd stats that I know Brian loves. Uh Felino and this is from Evolving Hockey, my second favorite site after Natural Stat Trick. Uh Felino and Nosek together, 57 minutes at 5 on 5, 60% Corsi, 60% expected goals, outscoring opponents 2 nothing. So, and that's been with either Lazar or frodin
2: on right wing obviously. So, the only, the only pretty, pretty I,
1: strong, pretty strong play from that fourth line.
2: The only time I don't, I don't like stats is when they're telling me something that I just know is impossible to happen. Like, so for example, if you want to tell me that like Patrice Bergeron or David Pashnak or Taylor Hall, like aren't scoring, but like their goals above expected, whatever is. Cause it, like, yeah, I I'll be like, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Like they're just slumping. That's good. But if, if, if you're telling me like, well, Trent Frederick should be scoring like, you know, two goals per 60. I'll be like, well, that will never happen. So that's a, that's a pointless stat with this, with that player. There are certain players that like the stats will tell you something. I was like, that's great, but it doesn't, it's not going to happen for that person. It's like Gretchen Wieners and Mean Girl. Uh, what's it called? Uh, mean Girls. Yeah. Stop trying to make fetch happen. Uh, another one would be like, um, like, like with the Bruins defense, um, like if they have great analytics, I'll be like, that's great. But then every time they play like the top teams in the league that they're going to have to beat in the playoffs, it's like, well, uh, the stats only go so far, but I, I do something like that, Scott. Like I totally, I like that stat. That's a very telling know, stat. I'm, like who played, well, I well I just give you a hard time with it at this point.
3: Is it bad that when Jake DeBrus had a Dude, natural mom, hat everybody. trick, all I want, I was just thinking of Scott, like when he had a natural hat trick, I'm like, Oh, here natural stat trick—that's all I can. Before Scott, I never even knew that was a thing, and now I'm just sitting here like that's all I can think of. I'm, I'll look something up on it, and I'm just going. Scott, he's gonna love yeah. this stat. I can't wait to hit him with this stat.
2: Yeah, no. And also,
3: Brian's gonna hate it.
2: Hey, hey, you guys, you guys are forgetting. You guys are forgetting that you know I have I have a very very uh, luxurious and very prestigious coaching career on my on my belt. So like I'm like the winningest JV hockey coach in New Hampshire history. So like I, I know stats. Okay, I'm a big analytics guy, just not with certain players, not with certain stats. But the the sick and Felina one, uh, that's telling because it tells you two two players play well together. Scott, um, what
3: about what about the, the, the analytics?
1: Hall? The analytics department that Brian's JV team has is you wouldn't even believe it. It's just no staff my, my, to the gills.
2: My analytics team back then was, all right, um, I have 32 players for one JV team, and every player has to play 18 games. All right, let me do the math here. And then they got parents yelling at me over here. Hey, why, why is my kid not playing? He's the best player. Sweetheart. Like, I, they all have to play the same amount. It's it's a Catholic high school. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, and also it's JV, so, like, who gives a shit? Um, two players that do play together uh speaking of which is taylor hall and david passionak so we talked about well, i talked about this briefly before the podcast but um they're you know their talent is is so incredible that like if, if they just met each other they would probably make some nice plays together but you're starting to see the fact that without the puck on their sticks they're really starting to see where each other are without the puck and and their chemistry is uh is glaring now i think and that's a that's great news for the bruins i don't know if you guys have kind of picked up on that too like the you know not not just i guess the one in la like 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 Pashnak like getting the puck on a turnover just i guess it was a it was a back checking play so it's not the best example like he turned around and saw hall was open so we found him but just in general like in the offensive zone like do you see, like, the one against the Ducks, like, Taylor Hall, like, pulls up and he knows Pashnak's going to be trailing the play. Just little things um that you see with players that have started to play together for quite some time now. They've been together for a couple months. And I think that's a great sign for the Bruins.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, one thing that's interesting about, like, that combo is it's really kind of settled into a lot of Hall setting up Pashnak, which is, like, on the one hand, duh like right like that plays to both of their strengths but you know i'm curious like if that's going to end up changing at some point where you know not that it's going to like completely reverse but where it's going to need to be more hall finishes or passanak's doing the setting up like if teams start to kind of i don't know like over shift to passanak to take away his shot you know what i mean like
3: wasn't that how hall scored his goal in that seven nothing win against the kings passanak set him up
1: yes yeah i have to like I, I have to think about all this stuff now because it happens so late at night that like my brain ends up fried and i forget specifics
2: but, but stri- yes you, Scott was trying to balance the uh the bruins game and the uh finale of uh, euphoria on hbo so his, his attention was kind of you know actually the,
1: these late games allowed me to catch up on euphoria i finished it i watched it before the game
2: it's sad it's it's sad that I actually kinda <laughs> joked about that and, and it's true. But hey, hand up, I actually watched it too, so I'm guilty as well.
1: Very intense show.
2: Very intense. Very yeah. Very awkward at times too. Very awkward Did, I'm, I'm like, did I'm, you I'm, hear
1: uh I'm, did you hear I'm, did you hear Wiggy's quote on the Greg Hill show? It's become like one of their favorite drops. No, what do you say? Um that they're, they're talking about cause Courtney Cox is a big fan and wiggy said something something like uh like i don't like high school nudity
2: (laughs) it's like that's what i'm saying it's like really like it's very a little uncomfortable with the stuff well well, first of all it should be noted the characters playing these 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 people are like in their 30s it's like they're like 30 year olds playing 16 year olds but I feel like Bridget's silence is concerning me. I feel like Scott, you and I are the only ones in this in this podcast that have watched this. <laughs> I
3: haven't seen it. We may
2: be. <laughs> that's yeah. targeted. That's targeted towards the younger female audience.
3: Yeah. Well, I'm busy watching hockey. We're broadcasting hockey.
2: Uh, well, Scott and I will start a Euphoria podcast, I guess. Yeah,
3: I can't be a part of that one.
2: Uh, Unlike the
3: Game of Thrones one that we never did.
2: I don't know, but which one? The Game, Game of, of Thrones. Thrones
3: one that we never did.
2: That, one, that, one's, that one's still in the archives. I don't know. I don't know how we got off on the euphoria. <laughs> Probably my fault. Uh, but I, so, I couldn't tell you how we got on euphoria. Talking speaking
1: about speaking of euphoria, yeah. watching yeah. Hall and Posse not play hockey
2: together. <laughs> it, it is. That, that must have been it. Yeah, <laughs> man. This this podcast sometimes brings up the worst in me and Scott. But I mean, I don't know. Yeah. They, well, they, you uh, did
3: quote. You already quoted Mean Girls too. So,
2: a Mean Girls um yeah just gotta hit the notebook in dawson's creek and uh one tree hill knock them all out of the park today um but yeah i know so far uh th- those guys like i look like, i bring it up because we knocked them a few weeks ago or i knocked them at least when birds run a martian or out they just weren't stepping up um that was deserved the criticism they, they were they were your best players and they needed to step up they didn't in those couple of stretches but uh you know they've been on they've been on fire um throughout this this winning streak up until last night and they were good in defeat, too. Actually, that second line along with the fourth line, those two lines kind of played well. It was the the, the, the first and the third that were kind of eh, not the best, um, Craig Smith being one of them. I don't know if you guys have any magical solutions because, you know, the Charlie McAvoy penalty, the, the goal with 20 seconds left doesn't happen if it's not for a very, very rookie-esque turnover by Craig Smith. And, you know, say what you will about his scoring um, slump, but – you know, defensive play has never really been an issue for him. And I'm not going to overreact to one play. It's one play. Mistakes happen. But just the bigger issue with him, do you guys – how do you guys get him going, do you think, if you're Bruce Cassidy? Or do you just kind of let him fight, fight his way out of this slump? Because they're going to need him uh, yeah. in the playoffs if he's on the team.
1: I think you just have to let him fight fight through it. Like, you know, you, you'll you get a shift like uh, the one they had. They had one Tuesday night where it was just nonstop, like, cycling the offensive zone. They'd lose it. They'd hit the Anaheim player, get it right back. And it's like, at some point, one of one of those shifts, because that line is good for one or two of those shifts every game, he's going to end up with a goal off of it. And, uh, you know, I do think we know he's been a streaky player in the past, so it does feel like once he gets, you know, one or two, like they'll start going in more regularly. Um, he's going
3: to take a lesson from Jake DeBrusque
1: true. Yeah,
2: Yeah. that's a trade.
1: But like kind of like almost to that point, it's like you see two of the goals debrus scores against LA and it's like they probably should be saved, but there's no logical explanation for it, but it seems to be true in hockey. Like when you get hot like that, pucks just seem to find a way in. And, you know, those are two shots that given how debrus has been playing and how hot he's been are going to go in for him and given how cold craig smith has been i promise you if he takes those shots they're not going in like i don't there's no logical reason for that to work out that way but it's absolutely true like craig smith just is not getting those bounces and it feels like like once he gets one or two of those you, you just feel like he'll start to take off to your point about the turnover um i almost like it's bad obviously I almost don't have as much of a problem with that as a couple of the other ones, because it's, I think it was as much as like, he just completely misread the play. Like, I don't know if he just didn't see the ducks player there or, or what, but it was like, he looks up real quick and tries to just make a quick pass. There is a teammate beyond the ducks player. So I, you know, I don't know if he thought he had enough on it to get past them, but I, it's like, okay, you, you misread it. You, you made a pass. You shouldn't have made it happens. Like I, The a couple of the other ones or a couple of the plays that led up to goals like Martian turning the puck over twice in one shift is again it's Brad Martian so you're you're not going to freak out and lose your mind about it but it was like you would think after the first one you know he'd bear down a little and next time the puck comes around be a little harder on it and make the right play instead he kind of just like blindly flips it off the boards again and it's kept in the zone and I For- know
3: Carlo, Carlo had a goal and an assist, but he also had some rough plays, including turnovers against Anaheim as well.
1: Yeah, and and the foreborn one is like, dude, like, the the number one thing you bring to this team is killing penalties, and you go get the puck in the corner, have, like, all day to just turn up ice and either go off the glass and out, or fire it cross ice and out, like, whatever. You had a couple different options there, and he throws it right to the defenseman. Like, the so one place you couldn't put it is where he put it. Uh Trent Frederick not back checking is I that one I cannot figure out for the life of me. Like if he just keeps skating, he's got the guy covered, and for some reason he stops skating and starts gliding. And it's like what did you think was gonna well, happen? To? And and then by the way, even if he did done that, but his stick was in the right spot, he still might break up that pass. But his stick is like Tucked up against his side, and he's—it's like he's like made—it's like he's done everything possible to make himself as small as possible and like actually open up a passing lane.
2: Yeah, and that and that play on the overhead it showed um, back in the offensive zone, he actually fell down like just as the play was going the other way. So I'm not sure if like he just exhausted even more energy at the end of his shift trying to get up and back in the play. He just—I don't know. But once you once you're back, you, you know. You, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta finish, you gotta, you gotta finish the back check. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, it's, um, you know, when they pick at a couple of plays here and there in, 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 a, in a, loss that, you know, for the most part, they, they played okay. Considering it's a back-to-back. I mean, defensively they were sloppy, but you look at the intangibles, they found a way to get back in the game down to again, dumb mistakes. Um, you know, they shot themselves in the foot as far as not getting that game to overtime. Um, but you take the good with the bad, and it's been far more good than bad lately, even dating back to last week, right? I mean, you – they were in a – you know, you win one, you lose one type of stretch, and their only wins came against – both against Ottawa, and we're like, well, you better win those games. And then, you know, since then, they slap, they slap Colorado around, and, you know, they rattle off – uh seattle anaheim san jose well not anaheim seattle san jose uh, la and i think there's one more game in there maybe back at home that they want to but um so they're playing good hockey i think right now we're all just kind of like just waiting for the freaking deadline we just want to see what this team's going to look like because that's when it gets real fun you know right now they're a good team you know they have their off nights they have their strong nights but we just want to get to the deadline and see what what not only their roster looks like but the teams that they'll be competing with in the playoffs
1: yeah the, these next two games to close out this road trip i i do find interesting one vegas with jack eichel now not a full strength vegas by any means they they don't have you know mark stones on long-term ir max patch out right now as well so far from full strength but you know j- just an interesting team to see like you know i want to see how the Bruins do against uh, that team with Eichel. And then that Columbus game to end this road trip is, I think it was Raycroft on Gresham Keefe who said, like before this even started, penciling that loss already. You know, you have five West Coast games, and then like this random stop in Columbus on your way back where guys are just going to be like, yeah, whatever, just get me the rest of the way home. But I can't, to, to what we were talking about earlier, where like Columbus is hanging around, this playoff race, you don't, you don't want to like, you don't want to be a team that gives them momentum or gives them a reason to believe that they can be players or maybe catch you or whatever. Like, I actually think that game's more interesting than, than it might seem uh, initially.
2: it's the, it's the, uh, the revenge of Sean Corrales.
1: That's right. That too.
2: How many Corrales leaps is he going to? Getting his former team. Stay tuned, I suppose. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, so yeah. they're, also, the
1: they're gonna... revenge of Foligno. Foligno going back home to true.
3: Korea, so. Very true. So yeah. then, so they hit these last two road games, uh, Vegas and Columbus, and they are home for three games, and then they're back on a four-game road trip again, uh, and then they hit the trade deadline.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, so it's gonna be very interesting. Honestly, as, as a as the general hockey fan as well, like I'm very curious to see you know, who goes where, like, does, does Colorado gain a Claude Giroux? Um, Does, do the New York Rangers reacquire a JT Miller? I mean, and, and become a real contender, like, you know, I obviously just named two players that the Bruins kind of would like to have, um, does, you know, does, does Jacob Chikrin go put some team over the top? Um, Supposedly the, the know,
1: King, so the Kings are going hardest after Chikrin. That's, that's been the, right? that's been the recent reporting.
2: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, no. So it's, it's going to, it's going to, it'll be very interesting to follow. There's going to be a lot of what I'm not excited for is all the uh, you know, non-credible rumors that float out there for the few weeks going into the deadline. Oh, the the Bruins are in on. Yeah. That
3: Brian's going to get excited about. And one other thing I will say trade deadline is uh, March 21st, which the Bruins have a game at Montreal that day, but then the very next game they'll play the game they'll play with their the first game they'll play with anyone they acquired at the trade deadline is at home against Tampa Bay.
2: Ah, That's that's a great game to go to. I, I feel like I don't know about you guys, but I feel like the division rivals just haven't been there this year. And, and, and ironically enough, it's the first time they're playing them all again. Like they've only played they played Tampa. I want to say once down there, once here.
1: Yeah.
2: And I guess they're only going to play them three, t- three times total, but, like, they've played the Maple Leafs once. they played the Canadians. I guess they played them twice in Florida twice. I don't know. I guess they've played them, but maybe it was just all earlier in the year, you know?
1: Yeah, and it hasn't felt like there's been – to your point, it hasn't felt like there's been a ton of bad blood. Like, at least one of those Panthers games, they got blown out. The Bruins caught the lightning on a bad night, blew them out. Uh Montreal one of the Montreal game in Boston got it got feisty but like it's not it's not the, what the rivalry used to be cuz Montreal's just not that good. Uh yeah, t- Toronto like you said one game so far, only two more still to come. So yeah, it has been kind of weird that way.
3: Yeah, and that that first Toronto game was a 5-2 loss like that it wasn't oh, yeah, really yeah, a close a bad, game. Yeah. And also but like I said the first game after the trade deadline is at home against the lightning. Well, the third game, same week after the trade deadline is against Toronto at home.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I, Actually, I have one more question for you guys. And I, I just don't know where this came from and if it's, if it's, if there's any merit to it at all, but one of the teams that the Bruins have had bad blood with this year was the national predators. And a lot of that stemmed from Philip Forsberg and his name apparently has been like put out there as like one that Nashville might potentially listen to for a trade. And I may, I I think I may have seen them again. You all, you see all teams linked to something, but like, is there any merit to like, he might, him might being on the move because he's a player that like, I never considered and If that were the, if he became available, like would be a, you know, a big time grab for anybody.
1: Yeah, I mean, I saw that. I don't understand why Nashville would do that. Like, I, I get that they might think that they're not going to resign him, but
2: like, they're a wild card team.
1: Th- yeah, they're in the playoffs. Like, what if you trade him away? Then you're telling the entire, unless you get like an unbelievable return that also somehow helps you. Through- like, you're basically telling the rest of your team, "We don't believe in you." Which I just think is that's a horror, especially for a team like that. That's yes, has some veterans, but also has, like, some younger players or, you know, core guys you'd want to build around. Like, that would just be an awful message for that management to send to those guys. Uh, and I also feel like that's a team that plays a style that can win in the playoffs. Like, they are physical. Uh, they they have a great goaltender in UC sorrows Like, it, you know, they might not end up matched up against Colorado. They might, you know, they might be, like, the top, wild card and get flipped to the other conference or whatever or the other division but i mean if you sat here and told me that nashville knocked out colorado in the first round because you say sorrows got hot and they just beat up the avalanche i'd be like yeah that's believable i i can believe that so i I don't understand why on earth like they would trade philip forsberg but um
2: i don't mean either that's yeah, I, I mean, surprised. I mean, if you were
1: available, then I think just about any other contender would be insane to not be,
2: you know, looking into it. But well, and, and and the western the Western Conference playoff structure is going to be, you know, it's going to be very very important for a lot of contenders because you know you have apparently Philip Forsberg, um, you know, a lot of talk around Joe Pavelski even when the stars were in the playoffs and now, right. They might be just outside of it, but there's, there's going to, to talk about John Kling- by the Klingberg of-
1: too. John Klingberg. John Klingberg as well. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so like, you know, when the trade deadline comes around, if some of these Western conference wildcard contenders are, you know, really starting to lose ground, then obviously that's, you know, that's kind of how teams know, all right, then that's a team that would be willing to sell. Right now, by the
3: way, Vancouver is only five points out of a wild card spot, which has been a Vancouver's right. been a team we've been talking about for, you know, are, are they going to be a, a seller, but they are, you know, they're within reach. Now there's five teams right up there, actually, I'd say six teams, Winnipeg also in there that are fighting for those wild card spots right now. Uh, Nashville has the top one, but only by a point ahead of Edmonton. And then they're only two points ahead of Dallas and Anaheim. And then Vancouver's right behind them. It's a close race for the wild card, the wild card in that, on that side of things. Well,
2: the the, the parity the in the Western Conference is really kind of fucking over a lot of the Eastern Conference playoff teams. Because if you're a Western Conference playoff – because most teams don't like to barter within conference and division if they don't have to. Um, but, like, if you're a Western Conference contender – 're looking you're looking at you know um Columbus on down to to Montreal right and you're saying to yourself all right who who can we try to take advantage of here and deal with at the deadline they're already getting they're already getting their scenarios worked up because they already know these eight teams aren't making the playoffs these eight teams are if you look at the the Western Conference I mean out of well I guess there's 16 17 teams now I don't know but uh, there's probably only a couple teams in the West. Chicago,
3: Seattle, and Arizona.
2: That's it. Everybody else, Maybe San Jose. Everybody else has has a case to be made if if things go right for them in the next couple of weeks. That's why we'll know in a few weeks potentially more, but for now, it's kind of a shit show.
1: Yeah. Um, By the way, like I mentioned Winnipeg. I don't know if this was last week or two weeks ago. You know, Winnipeg is like a team to watch because there's, you know, we've heard about like Adam Lowry and Andrew Cobb, but like there's even been like a couple just like stray rumors about Mark Shifley or like Connor Hellebuck even being available, like just crazy stuff. And like, it feels like that's a team that could just, I guess maybe decide to just like completely blow it all up. Like, uh, you know, who knows? So that, that, that's definitely an interesting team to watch too.
2: Um. All right. Well, I'm good on, on brewing stuff. Uh, I don't know about you guys. I did have a, I did want a prediction from the two. We want something before we took off. So give me the green light. If you're kind of wrapped up on the bees.
1: Yeah. We're yeah good. All good.
2: Okay. So the, uh, hockey East playoffs. I just kind of want you guys to give me your predictions for both the men and the women's. I, I know Bridget said the women's are already underway, so I guess. That yeah, they are. Yeah. Crack down a little bit, but who do you guys like out of, uh, in, to maybe, maybe give me two teams. You'll see scoring off at, at the guard. well, I don't know where the women's play. Where do they play the championship? The women's just on yeah. site, on site, highest seed. I believe
3: they, so. There, yeah. So there, the games tomorrow are to the, the the games tomorrow are Connecticut at Vermont and Maine at Northeastern for the semifinals for the women's. Yeah, right. well,
1: women's so is going to be Northeastern. Northeastern. Yep. Mm-hmm.
3: Northeastern. <laughs> That was something you could have picked when the season started, by the way.
1: Uh, yeah, that they, they'll okay. be, you know, they'll be a national title contender again after getting there and losing in heartbreaking style last year. Uh, on the men's side, you know, UMass has been pretty strong all year. BU has been probably the hottest team oh, in the country. I'm so
3: shocked. Scott since, goes since Thanksgiving, for
1: BU. I mean, they have, except for a tough loss at BC on Sunday, they. You know, so they won the bean pot. Then they had two weeks off, which is like a kind of bizarre break in the schedule. Crushed BC on Saturday at, at Aghanis and then lost. Let's be real like, though
3: BC hasn't been the best team this year.
1: No, BC stinks. Um, but
3: Scott always says that anyway. Just, I, I think you know, I have a feeling our biases are about to come in big time here because I'm going UMass and Scott's yeah, going. I mean, and Scott's I, going BU and that's where we went to school.
1: Yeah, well, I, th- I think hockey's comes down. I think those two have the edge over the rest of the conference just based on how they've been playing. But I mean, UMass Lowell's right there. Merrimack had a really good year. UConn was doing really well. Just got swept by Northeastern. Northeastern cannot be ruled out in any game because they have Devin Levi as their goalie, who, by the way, had uh, stopped 60 of 61 shots in one of those wins over UConn this past weekend. Um, so, you know, they'll be in any game just because of him. I don't think the rest of their roster stacks up to a uh, a UMass or a BU. But, yeah, I'll say we end up with UMass versus BU in the championship game at the Garden. And of course I got to pick BU.
3: Yeah, of course. I'm so shocked. Um, and by the way, UMass is the number one seed as of today and BU's tied for. They're either going to be the fifth or the sixth spot. Uh, yeah, I guess they, they could move up past UMass low well into fourth, but
1: they just, they started so poorly and had so many injuries early in the year that. That they've been playing catch up all year. And you know, it's, it's a credit to them that they've caught up as much as they have, but. No matter where they finish, I would not want to be be playing BU.
3: And I will be doing the first round, the opening round game on one of the opening round games on Wednesday, and one of the games on Saturday on Nesson. So I will get a close look and let you know after that who, who we got. But it's by the way, it's a tie. Well. It's actually,
1: it actually tie this into Bruins. Uh, Ty Gallagher, Bruins seventh round pick, is having a really good freshman year for BU. Where does he
2: play? Oh BU. Oh yeah, yeah. That's
1: right. Yep. He's he's been in their top four all season and has been has been really good. Is still a little prone to the occasional turnover, which you know, I mean look, he's he's a freshman, like you gotta live with some of that. Charlie McAvoy had turnovers his freshman year at B U. Um but he looks good and he had he had an incredible pass that I tweeted out the video over the weekend, uh the Saturday game game against B C just to Great stretch pass to spring one of his teammates on a breakaway
2: for a goal. Um I, but, I don't know if I would call that an incredible pass. It was a really nice pass. I mean it wasn't gonna, Eric it wasn't Eric Carlson He's, lo- he's looking there. at I'm it saying, with
3: his B U goggles on, Brian. <laughs> I'm saying <laughs> it, was,
2: incredible. It, was, it was it was a nice it was a beautiful like two zone pass up the middle, but it wasn't like anything that we haven't seen before. Nice. By the way, can I say
3: something? Can I can I say something? Did you guys see the um fake Michigan that Merrimack did? Yeah. The fake yes. Michigan. So basically we call it we call
1: it a BU now, Bridget. BU has taken control. They We've call taken it the BU. Show.
3: It was Merrimack.
1: But but BU uh-huh. BU took it away from Michigan. It's the BU now. The combination of Trevor oh, 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 oh. Zegers. Yeah. Well, I'm
3: talking about okay. Talking about something different, Scott. Let's <laughs> let's let's uh not make everything about BU here. Uh <laughs> so Merrimack, one of the Merrimack players, goes behind the net. Fakes, you know the the movement of. By the way, someone did this in the Anaheim Bruins game the other day too. Fake the movement of putting it on the stick, like to make the lacrosse move, mm-hmm. and he actually just left it on the ground. And other player crisscrosses them behind the net, wraps it in, like get scores on the wraparound because everybody's paying attention to the guy who they think's about to try to Michigan goal them, like lacrosse goal them, and it was a complete fake out yeah. and it worked. And Merrimack executed it perfectly.
2: I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I saw the uh, District 5 Pee Wee Ducks do that against the uh, the Hawks back in 1992. But, yeah, no, they pulled it off at a pretty, at a pretty high level, um, which is a good segue to my pick for the Hockey East Championship. Since you guys are so shallow, you just pick where you went to school. I'll go off the grid, and I'll go with Merrimack College.
3: Which, Brian, where did you go to school? Yeah,
2: I went, I went to Merrimack. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so We're going to go with the Warriors, and uh, that's my pick. That's my pick. Um, but on that note, if you guys are good, I think we're pretty close to wrapping up episode 83. now. Yeah,
3: we've been talking for a long time, but quickly, this is something you just tweeted about just a little bit of the Russia thing, because it has like trickled into the hockey world. Um, Brian, you tweeted the ban, the IHF ban of Russian and Belarusian, um, national clubs, club teams, uh, they'll be removed from the competitions. It's been trickling throughout sports. Tennis has pulled tournaments out of Russia um, oh, and today, Scott, this is this is for you. Uh, <laughs> the Russian, the Russian owner of Chelsea, is trying to sell because he's afraid. I believe he's afraid that that, that um, his asset, which is the team, uh, yeah. will be seized.
1: <laughs> I gotta I gotta bring this up with Razor on Sunday Skate because I believe Razor is a big Chelsea fan. So, um, but yeah, and another another place that it's gone into hockey is uh, the C. I don't know if this is official yet or it's just been reported, but the CHL is apparently going to ban uh, Russian like import picks, like ban 16 and 17 year old Russian players from coming to play in the OHL, the Q, the WHL, um, which is, I don't like all the other stuff, the banning of the national teams and the Russian club teams, I am all for when you get down to punishing individual players and especially teenagers, I I gotta, like, give this one more thought. Like, that feels a bit reactionary to me, and I don't know... I don't know what that actually accomplishes, other than, Because I don't even think Russia is gonna be, like, that upset to be like, oh, our players can't go play juniors in Canada. I actually think, like, they, they'll probably be thrilled to keep them in Russia and have them yeah. play and if, develop there, so...
3: Did you guys see the Hassock? comments. Yeah. So which... Hassicks was probably the strongest comment I've seen which was that he wants the NHL to remove all Russian players uh that are currently in the league, which is obviously a step way beyond what anyone has been talking about, but he was really hard on that. Um and like we know that some of the NHL guys have had have personal relationships with Putin and have spoken and th- certain things are being brought back up from like 2014. Um, when Russia invaded Ukraine, the last time, things that Alex Ovechkin has said, things that Malkin has said, where they did that whole Team Putin campaign to try to get him reelected. And those ties are becoming an uncomfortable conversation um, in those organizations.
2: Yeah. And uh, like, and, yeah. I mean, like players don't really expect a, um, you know, it, they don't, they don't expect t- eight, ten years later for, for Putin to go all World War II on Ukraine, but, like... No,
3: but Ovechkin, just, uh, Ovechkin what I sent you guys, it was really late at night, I don't know if you saw it, it was after one of the Bruins games, um, was that he, he was calling Ukrainians, like, Nazis and, and fascists. Like, it wasn't just, like, what? it wasn't, like, about... It was saying, like, Russia needs to go save, like, the children from, you know, what's Who's going that, on in Ukraine. It was propaganda. I sent you I sent you some yeah, I,
1: And by the way On Ovechkin uh, I'm looking at it Right now So this is as of uh, Wednesday afternoon His Instagram Profile photo Is still him With Putin So I I don't buy Shit that Ovechkin Has said Or you know Claiming like he's You know he's put out like that meek like anti-war statement or whatever yeah but he said but, well, i
3: don't want i want peace with everyone you know not it doesn't matter who it is so that was a very cop-out answer and then when you go yeah. and you, you dig deeper it's like okay when you read just those quotes it's like oh really ovechkin you know but he didn't put down anything about putin he didn't, no, it wasn't- he didn't
1: he didn't mention his name like and he said like he's my president or whatever like i have zero sympathy for ovechkin and you know to an extent like Yes, I agree with the idea that not every Russian athlete should have to be constantly asked about this or held responsible, or you know, like the the hashik thing. I I feel like that's too aggressive. I, I understand it would be a massive sanction against Russia because they they do use sports like to prop themselves up and they use that as propaganda. well. Vashkin was
3: there. Well, Vetchin was the head, like, spokesperson for his re-election with the Yeah, team right,
1: head. which is why... Like, that
3: was the spokesperson was Alex Ovechkin.
1: Right, when it comes to Ovechkin, I don't really think anything's too harsh, to be completely honest, because he's, he's set himself up for that. He set himself up with past comments. He set himself up by not saying or doing more now. He sets himself up for it by still having that as his Instagram profile, which, like, I don't care if he's active on Instagram or not. I mean, his last post was, like, three weeks ago, I guess. But, like, so, he, he's aware of that. Someone has told him, like, "Hey, dude, by the way, you know Putin's in your Instagram photo."
3: This is a this is a picture of Alex Ovechkin that I'm holding up for everyone to see that says Where? "Save Children from Fascism," and this was about Russia invading Ukraine back in 2014. Yeah. So, this oh, okay. it, it's been going on, and, and these things he probably didn't think were gonna come back in this kind of situation, but they do. Yeah,
2: okay. yeah no, Ovech, Ovechkin has been brutal with this with the handling of this situation it, i mean if anybody from the capitals organization knew what he was going to say at that press conference they should have not even given him the platform to speak because that was that that what he said uh just not condemning uh, putin um you know it, it, it was it was bush league it was it was very cowardly and um you know clearly he has you know he has personal um you know interests or, or um conflict of interests with with his relationship with putin so they shouldn't even have had him speak if he wasn't gonna you know do the right thing um but you know what it what it does do though is it kind of like it kind of illustrates like you know um remember remember back in like november when uh when 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 panarin threw his glove at martian because he said something about uh his his, about what did he say like russia hates you or putin he i don't remember what martian said but my point my point is like it's no it's clearly i mean not to tie hawking to this but like Russian, Russian, um, you know, Russian citizens and, and, and like, and just in general, like their relationship, good or bad or supportive or non-supportive with with Putin is, is, is no joke. And, um, you know, it it just illustrates now, like, like just how, you know, like fucked up that guy is and how much, uh, I guess pull he, he, he tries to have in these guys' lives and, and whatnot, because like, you know, a lot of, a lot of what people were saying was like, well, what's he supposed to do? speak out against the guy who is, you know, you know, with with his family over there and this and that. And like just it's just like, okay. I mean it, well, it's, no, it, it's it's it's, yeah. you know our Panarin,
3: up him, was, like Panarin a... did. And let's be real, I know he I know suffered some consequences from that, but
1: Yeah, and by the way, like any family Ovechkin has in Russia is there by choice. There's been you know, he's been rich enough and he's been in, in the United States long enough to you know anyone he ever would have wanted to get over, he could have done. Um, and he, um, I just completely lost my train of thought. Late night games catching up to me again.
3: Scotty, I have a tough. You're going to ask your toughest question of the year this week and uh, re- rehash that uh, Marshawn uh, deal with the with Panarin. You're going to ask him about it again. You're going to be <laughs> like, "Do you wish you never said that?" In light of recent world Uh-oh. events.
1: Yeah, no, I'll I'll leave that. But um, it, so what I what I was gonna I remember how I was gonna finish that sentence, which is that if like does anyone the idea that Ovechkin can't say anything because Putin might go after his family or whatever. It's like I know Putin's insane, but like, do we? What do we think? Like, he's gonna go like kill Alex Ovechkin's family? How, how do we? How do you think that's gonna go over? How do you think that's gonna play in Russia? Like. I'm I mean, pretty sure that'll be the end for Vladimir Putin if he did something like that.
2: I mean, I, I mean, dude, when 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 a guy's that much of a fucking psychopath, I mean, you just don't. I mean, who knows?
1: Yeah. And I mean, then one one other tie-in. To
3: but this, his. Um, let me just say, his allegiance is not out of fear. Like he's not just saying like hasn't been. No, by the, they're they're
1: friends. He, like yeah. yeah, He's he doesn't uh, want to turn on him a like
3: a, He sent him like a videogram to play at his wedding, like, and he sent and Putin sent. Uh, a wedding gift and like statement, a statement for for Ovechkin on his wedding day.
1: <laughs> yeah. So one other hockey tie in here. I saw uh this note. It was a uh, someone from, i believe it was Elliot Friedman. I hope I have that right. I forget exactly where I saw it. But um, for, former Bruin, people who were fans in the '90s will remember. Uh, Dmitry Kristich, um, was born in the so was born in Kiev you know, when it was the Soviet Union still, uh, but he's in Ukraine and I don't know if he's actually like out fighting, but he's like raising awareness. I guess he had reached out to people in the hockey world just to kind of like get the word out and let people know what was going on. So, um, you know, it seems like he's kind of over there in in the middle of it and, uh, you know, trying to, among the many who are trying to fight the good fight, There's there's been a bunch of sports tie-ins on the on the Ukraine side too, not least of which is uh, one of the Klitschko brothers is the mayor of Kiev and, you know, former heavyweight champion boxer.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's fucked up over there. <clears throat> Hopefully resolved soon. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, he's uh yeah, that guy's fucked. He's fucked, I guess. And there like, was
3: obviously Olympic tie-ins like this yes. this one happened. Yeah. Like this all was escalating during the Olympics.
2: Yeah, right. and
1: not not a coincidence that it didn't start until after the Olympics were over because they they knew all the Russian athletes were probably going to be kicked out of the Olympics if it started before then. So,
2: yeah. All right. Well, did you guys have anything else? No. No. Okay. Well, thank you for listening. It wraps up episode eighty three of the Skate Podcast. We'll be back next week, and uh, that's it.